Episode two of our second series, Erotica. That's right. Wowie, wow, wow. What a slutty and horny topic <laughs> this is. I know. We just really dove right in. We started off with Anna Nicole and then we just. We couldn't stop ourselves. Yeah. We had to know more. We're like, join us in a hot tub. Or in a dungeon. Or in a fucked up dungeon. Yes. We are uh, the first part of this um, series. We're reading, I, I guess, what you would consider the classics. It's like the canon of erotica. Like, yes. so, I mean, I don't think Fifty Shades of Grey necessarily falls into this. I think it does now. We're going backwards in time. Like, that is arguably like the most famous successful erotic novel it's the most famous and successful erotic novel but like I don't think like the book that we read this week people are comparing it to like classic like Greek and Roman literature like this has an air I would say unearned (laughs) air of sophistication to it yes that 50 shades of gray absolutely does not have yes there's a real like elite i feel like the rest of the books that we're reading does have like an elevated literary reputation yeah and i feel like that is truly an example of uh prejudice um <laughs> yeah lack of access it's and, yeah uh it's basically just being like a snob yeah i think uh these are the books like this is a book if you were if you were let's say you were 16 and like 1998 and you went to some little like independent bookstore and there was a girl like kind of your age and you were like okay, okay i like to read what's weird and she What's was like, weird. have you read this? And then you'd be like, no. And then you would sit alone and read it and be like, holy shit. Oh, my God. She has like long red curly hair and she's wearing a duster and an onk. Oh, my gosh. you That's an amalgam of several different women I knew in my life. But the woman that I'm thinking of right now, well, mm-hmm. there's two. There was a young woman who um, there was a bookstore in Albuquerque, New Mexico called Don's Books. Aww. And his daughter worked the bookstore and she had long blonde hair. And I would go in there when I was like a child and I would like get mad magazines or I would like read Michael Crichton or like R.L. Stein or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I started like sitting in the back of the store and like reading romance, not like skimming through romance novels. And then I was reading like, I don't know, whatever. And I remember she was, uh, she just like gave me really good advice and like pointed me towards some interesting novels, not oh, sexy cool. novels. Well, I would hope not. If she no. did, then she'd be on a list. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't checked in with her in maybe 25 years. I mean, I don't know. When I worked in a kid's bookstore, I was actively steering parents away from what I thought was 
the obviously the like precursor to erotica which was twilight (laughs) (laughs) i would be like i don't think you should get that i also worked in a bookstore and i would steer parents towards his dark materials oh yeah we had those too yeah but it's like this very um that you know they're doing a series for hbo that Uh, looks pretty fucking awesome that the one with um who's in it uh it is ruth wilson from the affair okay and the little girl from the wolverine movie yeah okay where she's like a badass fighter okay it's not what i'm thinking of then yeah i'm thinking of something else with somebody else in it and that's as far as i can (laughs) tell you (laughs) well maybe we'll crack that code probably not but i mean it's like they're the hbo is trying to tell parents like this isn't an anti-religion show but it's like, it is an anti-religion story. Yes, it is. And it is. goes so hard and it's so fun. For some reason, when I worked in the kids' bookstore in Chicago, that they were having like a renaissance and they were like a big deal. I don't remember. They Who were was? like reissued. Those books. His dark, Oh, because there was a movie with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Oh, I guess that was why. Did you hear how I just said his last name? I thought I didn't. I thought nothing of it. I said Daniel Craig. I thought nothing of it. I thought to me, I thought that sounded like fancier. Thank you. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, okay, so the quote unquote canon, uh, which will that we have called, we named it the canon. We made it. Yeah, it's just like I feel like the most famous books, but they're all basically about the same thing. They're like, like yeah. Well, I. I I saw a lot of I, I think that yeah they're all the exact same story they're all pretty much the same story I think like these books for whatever reason like the most popular like quote, like erotic novels are ones that have to deal with like a woman being forced to experience pleasure yeah it's like pleasure in quotes (laughs) yeah because I totally don't get it so it's a woman who's like being taught somehow like to be submissive even though she's not naturally and through that she like learns pleasure and then at the end of it comes out a woman like so she goes in a girl comes out a woman by being by having like womanhood beaten into her yes with a dick and also tools, yeah. whips, all kinds of shit. So I guess we should say, like, if you don't want to hear about this stuff, don't listen to this. Yeah, because and this is going to be about erotica. And this book is like really hardcore, like S&M. It's yeah, I think it's actually pornographic. Like it's I think so, too. Well, I don't know. I had very I mean, I do think it's pornographic, but I also I I rated it a two on Goodreads and then I went back and rated it a five after I thought about it for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I read a bunch of Goodreads reviews. They were so funny. They were so funny. So, okay, we should, uh, the, the, the book that we're talking about is The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty. It's the first of three. Um, I read that there were four, that it was a quartet. Yeah, in like 2015 or so, or like 2005. At some point in the 2000s, she released another book. I just know because I, I, bought, I bought all of them for $2 on Amazon. $2? Yeah, on Kindle. What? Two bucks. Where? Amazon.com. When? two days ago or Are you f- a week three days ago that four makes days me ago. so frustrated how much did you pay i don't want to talk about it but okay. i am so 
I'm glad that you got such a good deal. But this is coming on the heels of me realizing that I got truly swindled by Lyft. And oh. <laughs> so you're already worried about deals. Okay. I'm, yeah, because like I do pride myself on like knowing good deals, but I'm I think like I'm I'm a true born sucker. Um, okay. The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty. This was written in 1983. Yeah. Under the pen name A.N. Rockalar. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would you pick that? And how are you supposed to say it? I don't what know, but fuck? I tried. I know. I mean, Jesus Christ. How is it even spelled? It's like R-O-Q-U-E-L-A-U-R-E. But that's the uh, pen name of a writer we all know and love by the name of Anne Rice. Whose Famous. real first name is Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That is some Nolan shit. Uh, yeah. She's Howard Allen France O'Brien is Anne Rice's uh, given name. Sure is. And she is famous, of course, for writing the... The Vampire Chronicles. The Vampire Chronicles. The interview with the vampire and all the other fucking ones that came after that. The Vampire Laurent, which is the one that I read. Lestat. Lestat. <laughs> oh, Laurent's in this one. Yeah, Laurent is in like Laurent is in one of these books. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The uh, interview with the vampire came out in 1976, uh, and the claiming of Sleeping Beauty came out six years later, 1983, which I guess is why she wrote under a pseudonym. She was already a pretty successful writer, novelist at that point. Yeah, I guess so. And she just like had this in her and it had to come out. It had to come out of her. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. That she wrote these books? Yeah, that she wrote these books. Because I was thinking, okay, so the books are a um, springboard off of the like uh, fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. And like the the story of Sleeping Beauty that this princess is like falls under an enchantment, uh, goes to sleep for a hundred years, and it's true love's first kiss that will awaken her. Like that's mm-hmm. how we understand that story. Yeah, which is that's like that's what you thought. It that's was what about. you thought, but uh, which is like very. It's like that's an erotic story just on its own. Like there's a lot of like dark sexuality there's- to just that sure and it's also i mean a patriarchal story that is designed to keep women in their place or to teach girls at a young age yeah that they are powerless and depend on male attention for like their very lives yeah and also the idea that like your fate is written for you and like no matter what like this is how this is going to end for you like for girls there is like like fate is more clear for for girls just traditionally especially well because your story ends when you're 23 and you get married and that's it yeah i mean that you're a spinster at 23 yeah you're and that's your like that's the logical conclusion of your life yeah which always made me sad i was always sad at the end of fairy tales as a kid i loved fairy tales like i loved snow white but I hated the end when she would have to leave her friends and go live with this guy in a castle. I That was always... Yeah. And this was... I didn't know all the terms and I definitely didn't like know what was going on. But like this vibe was kind of what I was afraid was going on over there. Yeah. Well, and uh, so I love... I also love fairy tales. And especially when I was in college, I loved like myths and legends. Yeah, and yeah. I... Uh, 
I, I got all these great books. There's like a, there's a folklorist named Jack Zipes who has really awesome books about like fairy tales and folklore and everything. But I, I got a book, uh, that was the, like the classic fairy tales in their very like first written down form. And the sleeping beauty one is fucked up in her sleep. She gets like a King comes to, uh, where she's sleeping, rapes her in her sleep. She gives birth to two, to, uh, twin babies. These like fairies help her deliver it. They suckle at her breast all while she's asleep. And then she wakes up and they're like, here's your two kids. And she's like, what the hell? So then she takes her two babies and she goes to the kingdom to try to find the king and be like, excuse me, um, I was asleep and these are your children. And his wife, he like, he sees her and he's like, oh my God, isn't she so beautiful? Obviously I couldn't help myself. And the queen is so jealous. So they put her in a house like behind the castle and the king goes off to fight a war. And the queen is like, all right, let's fuck with Sleeping Beauty and builds a pit in the backyard and fills it like with vermin, like rats and snakes and stuff and 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 is going to make a show of like throwing Sleeping Beauty and the, the two children her husband's bastard children into this pit where they'll all get eaten and like right at the crucial moment the king comes home from the wars and is is like oh no and the queen overcome by shame throws herself in the pit and the king marries Sleeping Beauty and they all live happily ever after whoa so this is really is more like the original. Yeah. So I was coming at it like knowing that story and knowing like like how these medieval stories were like were like they were full of like violation and uh, they had such a darker tone to it. I I feel like this made some kind of sense. Like looking at Anne Rice as somebody who she's declared at this point in her life she was uh like a pretty famous atheist but like she okay yeah like she was like declared herself an atheist she became like born again catholic or whatever like <laughs> 15 years ago um but at this time uh she had like all that catholic information and you know that's like coming out in the vampire novels and then this is such a like heightened exploration of i don't know the darkest part of that. Do you want to kind of summarize the story? Sure. So Sleeping Beauty's asleep in her castle and right away the prince shows up and sees her and he's just grinning ear to ear so ready to fuck and he pulls out his big old sword and just cuts her dress off and is like so horny he loves her hot bod she's like 15 yeah they make a real point of like saying that she's how young she is yeah so he like looks at her like pubic hair which like is a big deal in the whole book it's blonde it's curly he gropes her and he like rapes her and he loves it and then while he's doing it i guess i don't know if a kiss is involved but she wakes up and he tells her okay um i've broken the spell and you are awake in this world it seems like this type of spell is something that goes on every once in a while yeah the king and the queen and the princess all have a really good understanding of what um what him coming and waking her up means and they none of them have any questions about having been asleep for 100 years they're like oh it happened to us as it always happens 
they know his family they know where he's from and they're like and they know like what is gonna happen yeah because he's like i've got her because he like strips her naked and yeah, she's naked he cuts all her clothes off brings her down to this dinner makes her eat naked in front of her father her dad has to see her and her mother is begging her to is asking if they can send her with clothes or anything. And he's like, she'll be fine. He puts her on the horse with him and rides around sucking her nipples like a baby as he's riding a horse. One of the problems with this book for me, quick side note, was that everybody's physical movements were so um, it's all so clearly from the mind of the author. Yeah. The things that they do just make no sense. It just seems very, it just all seems very choreographed. Yes. So they're riding through town. They stop at an inn and all the townspeople come around and they watch, they look at beauty and they like tie her up and like they parade her around. They make her stand. There are all these like complicated descriptions of like the way she has to stand with her hand behind her, you know, neck. And then everybody looks at her butt. It's just like weird. I'm like, Am, what are you talking about? Like, you like this, Anne? So she does something there. She gets beaten and her ass is all red and everybody can't believe how great it is and gets back on the horse. And he's like, now we're going to my town. And once you get to my town, shit's going to get even crazier. So Beauty's freaked out about that. And this was the point in the book where I was like, oh, this is his culture. Like his like he comes from a culture of people who just like have just like nonstop sex. And like there's a whole community of sex slaves. And Well, that's what they find when they get there. And also that everybody from the town knows that that's going to happen. Like everybody's like, OK, but like the people in her town knows that that's what they do there. The people in the village know that's what they do. And everybody's right. That is what they do. They all fuck. And she, uh, you know, there's another fucking banquet or something. More sex. Crazy S&M shit. There's a parade of naked dancers that come in and she meets his mother and she sees out of the corner of her eye, this boy drops a bucket of wine or something like a carafe of wine. And everyone's like Prince Alexi and they start beating him. And she realizes then that all of the sex slaves are royal born. They're all princes and princesses who were like disobedient and needed to learn to not be so vain and to learn to be submissive, which is like spare me but don't spare me because it's Anne Rice because it's a woman but I'm like vain really whatever so they need to learn you know to be submissives so some of them have been sent there by their parents or like as a punishment sort of thing like a boot camp or um as some sort of like trade agreement there are all different reasons that these princes and princesses would end up there and they end up loving it some of them are like crying when it's time for them to leave they want to stay anyway she's like taken with this Prince Alexi guy and it gets to be this and one of the things that she loves about him so much is well first of all his scrotum which she's constantly looking at and secondly it's he's so submissive and so good at like sucking someone's dick or like if he ever has to like get a boner he can like get it on the spot because he knows he'll be like beaten if he doesn't and she's like oh he's so graceful in his way of being a sub and um there ends up being kind of this love triangle between the prince and Alexi and beauty. Um, 
and uh, she ends up fucking him, Alexi. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, he tells her his origin story, which is that he came and he was like in the house of the queen who was like forcing him to, who does the most batshit stuff to him, makes him dance naked while she's getting beaten. This guy, he's like having to suck every dick and get fucked. And he has to sleep on a statue of a erect penis up his ass. And then in his mouth, he also has like a thing going down his throat. So it's as if the statue was fucking him all the way through his ass out his mouth. And she and beauty is just like, oh, I love him so much. And uh, it's a it ends on a cliffhanger where Beauty ends up getting sent off to the village, and the village is even more fucked up than the castle. Yeah, they've been teasing it the whole book. It's like yeah. you don't want to go to the village. You don't want to go to the village. Which I don't think it's not the same village that she already went to. No, I think it's, it's a, a whole different. It's another village. Yeah, because the second book is called like the Beauty punishment. It's <laughs> like the punishment, and then the whatever the third one is. It's. Yeah, beauty's like beauty's uh, revenge. It's like beauty's like homecoming, but it's not <laughs> like beauty. Then beauty comes back, and she goes on all these adventures, and she ends up meeting. I I just know a little bit that she ends up like meeting all these other guys and like fucking a bunch of other people and getting married. Yeah, so at the end of the day, she does get married. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just like a super depraved. Um, like gross <laughs> descent into sexual bondage. What freaked you out the most that you read in the book? There's things that I found really distasteful about it and uh, that made me grossed out. Like, especially when they were talking about like younger, it's like, oh, she was so young looking. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that, like, I, I don't need more details with that, but uh it just that I think is super gross and then Alexi's backstory I also thought was super gross like there was a point where like with a lot of these books I think that they're doing they're doing a lot of edging like they (laughs) edging yeah like they want to like they're like the thing where you don't come yeah they're like yes that was happening with this the whole time it's like uh beauty Like, you know, she's getting broken by the prince. Like, he, like, fucks her. She's She doesn't know what's going on. She's, like, so innocent. And then all of a sudden she turns a corner and she loves it. And it's, like, she wants it. She wants it so bad. But then chapter after chapter, they won't let her... They, like, won't let her come. They, like, keep getting her to the edge and then pulling her back and I thought that 50 shades had an element of that too that's also something that Alexi goes through a lot and um it's so I to me I'm like they would just get tired nobody it's not that big of a deal like the thing where they're constantly like so sexually charged and they like have to come at all point at all times like eventually they would get over it yeah and then there's a point in the story where like she is really connecting to Alexi and they have this like chemistry between each other and they run off and they have this like passionate night where they're breaking all these rules and that feels like there's like something very satisfying about that 
encounter because narratively it's the only thing that it's like what does she want like what does your protagonist want it's like sure. oh she wants this other slave to fuck her like that's what she wants okay and then she gets it and then as a reader you're like okay now I have to read 60 pages about Alexi like getting enemas in a kitchen that is what is upsetting to me just like the proximity to food to food and it's like who in this kitchen? like why is your kitchen staff so because they're the kitchen staff of this perverted castle where everybody fucks all the time yeah i just feel like they need some um (laughs) like these people they would never i don't understand how they're this like powerful army and all this shit because they fuck so much it is literally all they do yeah that's they're the kingdom of fucks they love fucking and they're perverted man and they're so sadistic they are and it's like it's like ramsey bolton yeah i mean like it's about yes or like king joffrey like i want to watch you or like gray of 50 shades who reveals himself to be actually a sadist yes not a dom that's in the movie um but (laughs) (laughs) i also thought with alexi's story about how like hard he got raped by the queen yeah was similar uh I don't know if this is like a part of a canon or like this is like the same type of a story where it's the same characters recreating like coming back again and again I thought it was interesting that the love interest has been sexually broken the way that she's being sexually broken by an older woman which is also part of the plot of 50 shades of gray yeah that is really interesting well I think that I mean, Fifty Shades, it feels like they're like she read these books like I mean, I yeah, I would assume that it wasn't just Twilight that got her going. Like, I think that because she obviously knew about shit other than that. Did you read Anne Rice's intro, her 2012 intro? Yeah, I did, but I, yeah, I did. She, uh, the, a couple things that are interesting in there, she declares herself a feminist. Mm-hmm. She uh, kind of like restates her mission statement with the, like the book and like why she needed to write it. And she wanted to like give people something delicious. She like wanted to, uh, there's like so many erotic books for women where there's just certain, ch- like you skim through and you you see um maybe there's three like sexy scenes yeah she wanted to build like erotic tension page by page with this I mean this felt to me similar to the kind of like 50 shades also did where it was exhausting to read the whole thing in one go it really feels like the kind of thing you're supposed to read it for a couple pages like masturbate put it away and then pick it up again when like you want to do that again but to just like read it is like uh, it's kind of tedious because it's just like it's just it's it's unrelenting it is i think she succeeded in like giving you something every page but it's like not necessarily something that i want it's not it's like i appreciate you giving this to me i do not want it but i have it i bought it i have all of them i've i can't believe you have all of them and i only got the one it's not i don't want them i (laughs) I mean they're worth i mean they're worth i bought them for two dollars and i overpaid i'm so sorry and i got them they were 50 cents each fuck okay what what for you like what was uh to turn your question to you like what was the thing that just that freaked me out yeah I was really unsettled by the 
lack of sleep everybody was getting. My God, nobody slept. And Everyone cried. Nobody slept. There were t- nonstop tears. And everybody, when tears they Tears streaming down their faces. They're literally sleeping, like, on a dildo. She gets tied up to, like, four <laughs> posts of a bed, like, and has just, like, a she, parachute. Like, hovers yeah, and she like loves it. She just falls asleep. Yeah. Like this is the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't understand. Like I can't visualize this in any normal way. Like if this isn't a cartoon, how am I supposed to imagine this happening? Right. And the same thing with his entire bizarre when the queen is making Alexi dance. Yeah. And she gets, <laughs> she gets like a squire to come and whip him and she's like, "Now you must dance for me." And and she makes him put his hands on his knees and like shake his butt. And she's like, you have to sh- move your bottom with all four, with all you're with two feet on the floor. And he does it like he can't move his feet and he just has to like shake. And she's like, no more, more. And she basically like makes him like, just like twerk basically <laughs> like, sh- and it's so, and he's like so humiliated and everybody's laughing at him and his butt is like bleeding because he, has been so whipped hard. so hard yeah and um the just all of the bizarre sexual movements that i i it sort of was like when you know those sat questions where it's like they describe the setup of like where a shape like how a shape is supposed to look yes that was always my weakest part me the too visualization. i'm so bad at that i'm like i can't do that and that was what i felt like most of this book was just like i would have to be like wait what and like really piece together where everybody's body parts were because it was i couldn't figure it out yeah and what's interesting is she uh she really avoids like there's no like real crass language I guess it's Except like, for like towards almost towards the end Alexi starts talking about he, he'll say like cock or something like he'll say like dirty words yeah but I feel like even like they would have said cock in like Elizabethan times right well that's it didn't get to like and he says like bald like he says like I think that it gets more crass like in the first like 75 80 percent of it it's all like everybody's got a sex yeah everybody's, it's like her throbbing sex this one's got a sex or maybe a mound yes and it's all the mound is always like warm and wet beneath a pile a voluminous pile of pubic hair yes and it's like like uh what do they say like open and fertile and like just the idea of like gushy readiness it's so disgusting it made me like (laughs) it just it was horrific honestly I did not like it I I did not mind the language that much I just was like so fatigued by the end of it I think that it's hard for a modern audience to put itself in a mind state of something like this being empowering in any way at all because everything about it is so disempowering and so fucked up. And I think that we're having a more sophisticated conversation about female sexuality and consent and control and patriarchy. And I think that like this is like the John Wick movie of like (laughs) internalized misogyny. (laughs) Everything is fair in the world of fantasy. Yeah, and, and this is a book. Like these aren't people yeah. acting it out. I don't. Ha- when I'm reading this, I don't have to think like, 
Is everybody here because they want to be here? There's nobody. They're very clearly are not real people. Like they're the yeah. thinnest characters and they're moving. It is like watching someone play Sims. Let me ask you a question because I feel like thinking about our Anna Nicole series, there was one thing that Anna Nicole did that really stuck out to you that you mentioned several times, which is that on the night of her wedding to J. Howard Marshall, she got on a plane and she like went to a went, photo shoot, went to a photo shoot to do a job. The idea yeah. that like she didn't need to do it and it was her wedding night, but yet she chose to do it. And you were yeah. like, that is the actions of an artist right. like that, like signals intention and like, Right. And so that was like what what like cemented her in my mind as an artist, because her need to create was more important to her in that moment than her financial stability. So I think like taking that same model and applying it to Anne Rice, like, oh, I mean, Anne Rice is definitely an artist. She's a great writer. I think Anne Rice, like the one book of hers that I read, I thought was really good. I mean, I again, it's just not totally my vibe, but it's she's good. She is t- a technically very good writer, which is always well, you can it's it can always be enjoyable even when you don't care about the subject matter like me with this, like how I got through this book. Yeah, well, I feel like uh, sex has to be like so big and so mythic and um, uh, like to be able to write something like this. And I again, like the Catholic connection, the idea that like like chastity is so valued um like uh, like our lord and savior jesus christ was like artificially implanted into a virgin like he could only be born of like the most pure there's such a preoccupation with sex like yeah in that religion and purity and like seeing seeing this manifest in that way feels I get it and I've always kind of to me that's always felt really like kitschy the the Catholic sex stuff yeah because for Jews I mean sex is a very like we talk like sex is a pretty open thing for Jewish people that's why I love your culture thank you so much we're all perverts but we're not like fucked up about it we're just like like you're supposed to have sex on certain holidays because it's fun and it's good for you like it's not it's that's <laughs> yeah. it like it doesn't get that much more complicated I just fe- think that's so wonderful and beautiful I'm yeah like, it is I, I love that yeah it's it's good and then I also feel like my being- husband is Jewish congratulations thanks um but we uh also, the thing that I the reason I feel really lucky to have been raised Jewish is because there is so much fear and guilt people have about Jesus and whatever sin and all this. We don't believe in heaven or hell. We don't believe in sin like we don't believe really in any of this stuff. And we have no relationship to Jesus. I've talked about this on this podcast before, but like I really do feel like it it. I'm not a religious person, but I think being raised that way has just like, I feel lucky that it eliminated certain things that I've seen in a lot of my friends as I've gotten older that have carried people, have, people have carried things with them from their religious upbringing. Yeah, I mean, you can't help it. Like it, it gets imprinted on you yeah. at such a young age. Like I, I was raised Catholic, but I love the idea of Jesus as like a political revolutionary. Sure. I like thinking about him like as like an actual human man who, uh, 
like motivated people and like cared about the proletariat. I feel like if he was alive today, he would probably be Antifa. Did you read a zealot the resist yeah, I, did. Book. I thought it was awesome i thought it was awesome too it really inspired me i thought it was a i thought it was a great great book but i think like so much of that like i mean if you if you believe uh like the gospels and you know a lot of them like get really into flights of fancy i think the the earliest gospel that was written about Jesus was published 33 years after his sure. death. Yeah, I think we yeah. love the year 33. Also, it's like that was the I love old, threes. Yeah, Jesus was th- supposedly 33 when he was crucified by Romans, by the way, not by Jews. So thank you. We need that, <laughs> especially today. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all coming back. Uh, the like pure lack of just like biblical knowledge that the lay person has is fucking astounding okay the amount that people quote the bible and the amount that people actually have any sort of grasp of what the ancient world was like and why things like are written the way they are is can i take us on a horrifying quick quick detour okay and i don't know if you've seen it and i don't know if you've read it but there is a book that i'm halfway through and a netflix series based on the book that i've watched all of called the family And I've fallen asleep through so many of those episodes. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm like watching it late at night because like, you know, that's like my sweetest fan, like my sweetest dream. It's like I enjoy it in the same way. My enjoyment of the book Fifty Shades of Grey and my enjoyment of that documentary are equal. And they are the same. They have come to me in the same way. How do you like the reenactments? Give me any reenactment, any, (laughs) any time. I will watch it. I will love it. I will applaud it. I'll be on my fucking feet. Okay. Reenact it all, baby. Those boys out there are playing football, falling they into were, a pile of leaves. They are. They <laughs> it are. looks like a sweater commercial. It, it look, looks like a commercial for like Tommy Hilfiger cologne. It looks like, yeah, like a commercial agency was like, do uh, everybody want some but in the fall? And that's, God, please no. But honestly, yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, but uh, to go back to my point about Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there's like, there, there's that stuff. Uh, the idea of like, like Jesus was this like sweaty, shirtless, carpenter, proletariat, like man of the people who like consorted with prostitutes. Like the idea of Mary Magdalene, like being this fallen woman. She was a whore. She was part of his, but like she was part of her his inner circle. And like she was a leader in her own right. And like there's all these gospels that kind of talk about her in this really exciting way the only book I really have ever read about this like about I mean I guess I read that Reza Salon book and I read I'm reading this family book but I'm like the only one that uh, the other one is um the Da Vinci Code <laughs> <laughs> which that, I read like, on a plane and had fun yeah that's a fun one but it's Where all it's about like, like Mary Jesus, Magdalene and yeah, shit yeah and then, like she had a baby with Jesus Jesus was gay it's like the idea oh, there's like all of this stuff about like the actual these like actual revolutionary young people who were trying to um overthrow the uh like capitalist assholes who were overtaking their temples there's like that story and then there's like all of the like doctrine that's put on top of it that perverts that message and makes it about control and like invokes his name and those words in a way 
to like make you do whatever they say like this this book feels like it's born out of the inquisition or like i don't know like the dungeons of england when everything it's just everything gets so perverted and met like fucked up and twisted and uh it it's about I don't know how sick like the Roman kings were or the Roman emperors like this is a direct descendant of that yeah I mean it's like there's like happy Jesus and angry Jesus and like happy Jesus is I love it all but happy Jesus is like Joel Olstein's Jesus. He's I, like that's like psycho Jesus. He's like Jesus who's your friend. He's like Jesus doesn't matter. Just accept Jesus and you'll be fine. You don't need That's the Annabelle doll of Jesus. That's like, oh look at this cute doll, and then there's like there there's a demon inside. That's what Joel Osteen is to me, but sorry, continue. Well, he to me, he is like the like that is America's spiritual center is like prosperity gospels and um, the idea that like you can have complete ignorance about what you're worshiping as long as it is Jesus and it believes it and it follows these certain guidelines which also happen to align with the Republican Party's platform. You are like fulfilling God's will and that's nice Jesus. And then mean Jesus. That is, sounds like mean Jesus to me, though. No, that's nice Jesus. And then mean Jesus is like from like the movie Carrie where she's locked in the closet and his eyes are bleeding. And that's he's the gonna... same Jesus. That is the same Jesus. Those are the same. Those are the, that's the same thing. But it's not because the other Jesus is like. I mean, the other Jesus is like the dad from seventh heaven is like best friends with that guy. That's the same Jesus. You can be a pedophile and he'll love you anyway. That's the same Jesus. Catholic Jesus will send you to hell. Yes, they're all the same. That is the same. Okay, to me, it's like that. that is the same. It's these like crazy psycho patriarchs who are just trying to keep the status quo and then drive women insane and make them turn against each other and like lock their daughters in closets and be like, you're driving men crazy with your dirty pillows that is the same as like the seventh heaven jesus as like all of that so jesus is about a certain jesus is about dominance always i think that when jesus is processed through men who are in control who like to invoke the name of christ to get people to do what they want them to do like then yes i think so there's a third Jesus, which is like alternative Jesus, who's like, you know, not white. He's a hippie. He's a preacher. He's a great philosopher and he's a leader and he will help you in your time of need. That's but the I other feel like Jesus. that's the real Jesus. That's the third Jesus. That's the first Jesus. Well, not on my list. On mine, that's the third. <laughs> Like that's the, I don't know if I could can I like classify myself here on the air? Yeah, but can I just really quickly tell you yes. that I call those Jesus as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Okay, classify yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 back it up. The Father is Joel Olstein. The Son is actually it goes the other way. Heaven? The Father is Carrie's closet, scary Old Testament Jesus. Oh my god, which there is no Old Testament Jesus, but like scary biblical Jesus with like punishment. Yeah. Okay, that's God. Second, that's also the Hebrew God, right? 
Um, yeah, but we're fine with it. We're like, move on. We're reform. We're like, it's okay. We had a reformation just like, just like most religions. Yeah. So then second, he's the all like, God is also the most interesting in that part of the Bible. He's complicated. Yeah. He's because he's like, because it's like the result of like many other gods that like written down and like just pushed into one character. It's like if you took a whole bunch of, it, you just if like you took like a whole every bunch of pagan god and then turned it into something. Yeah, and they're like, just this. give him one pronoun, just make it a he, just like everybody just. And they were like, and then they're like, that's the most important thing that's ever happened. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Anyway, and now we're like, that's actually real. Everything that's in there is real. And it's like, wow, we're are you so out of your fucking, fucking stupid? <laughs> How did you get so stupid? You're so sad. Always have been. Okay, so then the son. <laughs> That's Joel Olstein, where he's like, he's got Botox, he's smiling. He's like, you want a Lamborghini? Ask for one. Like, what do you want? You got it. You want to be president of the United States, Donald? Ask for it. You got it. Do you think that Joseph Smith would have Botox if he lived today? Um, yeah. Yeah, me too. I think Joseph Smith, if he lived today, I can't imagine if he lived today because I wonder if he would want to start his own fringe religion again but i don't think so i think he'd be like a joel olstein like i think he would want to like just take the he'd be the head of an advertising which it's like honestly like that type of christianity basically is its own cult anyway like it's its own it has its own rules it has totally different laws than the actual bible yeah and it is it requires no understanding of actual scripture only that you like pray for whatever you want basically and like don't be gay kind of the that's kind of the litmus test and don't like have an abortion I don't understand why whatever I don't get it anyway everything I've read I don't understand why you can have a divorce but you can't have gay marriage there I've never seen any kind of like biblical scripture that explains why one is okay and the other isn't there isn't like it's just it's so stupid. It's just like the laws of men. It's whatever is in fashion at the moment. Absolutely. There, Any, like Joel yeah. Osteen, the son. Yeah. Then the Holy Ghost. That's the best Jesus. That's the one who's like, I'm with you all the time. I love you. Like, let's be okay. Let's be chill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I like your Holy Trinity. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. If I'm, if I am to declare myself, sure. like I, I define myself as atheist for a long time, yeah. but I guess it's like kind of passe to call yourself an atheist. But not if you really believe it. I think it's just because like Richard Dawkins and stuff totally like turn that idea. Yeah. And like Ricky Gervais. It's like misogyny and bullshit and lies and ego trips will infest any belief system it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or not like god isn't the thing that's going to protect you it's people that's true and also they're also your worst enemy hell is other people that's hard yeah uh yeah i feel like i i do believe like there's something bigger than ourselves i think that like there's an energy that happens when we're together i feel like history is important i feel like we are connected to nature, whatever. I guess I would, I've always classified myself as like a Christian atheist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is a totally common feeling. In that like, I think if, just like in the idea of like Jesus Christ, like I'm like the idea of Jesus as a 
revolutionary, um, like, man of the people, like, uh, anti-capitalist, you don't need to give your money to some institution to find enlightenment. Like it is available to all people. Like the idea that like we're stronger together, uh, that we have to like that the poor have to overcome the working, like the, the ruling class, like that the, the meek shall inherit the earth. Like that's not something about heaven. I don't think that that's like a clue to the afterlife. That's like a mode for now. Like you've been, laying back on your heels, you've been quiet, like, you know, stand up, we're stronger together. I feel like there's so much revolutionary thinking in that. And I think that it's such a tool of the oppressor to take those ideas and twist and pervert them and, um, put them in the mouths of people who believe the exact opposite that like, to divide people that like the individual is king that you have to spend the most amount of money that like there's one right way to do anything yeah etc etc absolutely no I totally think that too and that's like the um that because I also identified as an atheist for a really long time or like a I like very similar like a Jewish atheist um and like culturally Jewish, like culturally Jewish, but also that Judaism has like, I think a lot of those same beliefs, like Judaism gets a really bad rap. People don't really understand it. Um, especially people like so many people were raised Christian and the idea that the old Testament is this like fire and brimstone document. And then Jesus came and turned like turned on the light and the Jews are like kind of in living in the past where like God is like very like oppressive and jealous. Um, and that's not the God that you're raised with. If you like grow up Jewish, you know, God is, it's, a it's much closer to what you're describing because the idea of Judaism is that Jesus represents, well, Judaism doesn't exist in opposition to Christianity, but it kind of has to define itself in opposition to Christianity because it's forced to. So maybe Jesus to Jews represents, a fracturing of God and like an understanding that you need a conduit, but Jews believe themselves to be connected to God directly. So there's no need to worry about um, sinning or confessing or speaking to any human, like no human is above you. No human is closer to God than any other human. And, nothing even Jesus can't come between you and God that you are directly connected to God uh, I, that makes a lot of sense and I I, I mean m maybe I am missing like interpreting or or reading this but Jesus was also a Jew and like a lot of the protests that I feel like he led like and if you read the Bible in this way, I feel like a lot of his actions are protests. He is like the, like there are priests in the temple demanding, uh, tributes from people. And it's like challenging that idea and being like, no, this is like, we are the conduits. Like, I don't think that he set himself up as that intermediary. I think that that's like the doctrine of the Roman Catholic church and like the passage of history and the mythology of him being the son of God were really, I think his point, if I'm, you know, whatever that it's like, it is to empower 
the people and to remind them of exactly what you're saying that like yeah and like the idea of so Jesus whatever I I've kind of struggled like Jesus is not like an important figure in my life but no me neither despite what I'm saying please don't (laughs) get it twisted I'm not sitting thinking about him 24 well I mean I think about Jesus but it's like I have no emotional connection to (laughs) Jesus but like the idea of um so I, I used to sort of think that Jesus like never existed at all, was completely made up to like murder Jews or something. Like I never got it. I was like, I don't know, Jesus. Cause it's not a Jewish idea. Like the Messiah or whatever, like God coming to earth as a man. It's just, it's not, it is, it isn't Jewish. And in the book that we, we both talked about reading that Reza Salon book about Jesus um, called Zealot, which was about it's like so Jesus's political good. activism. Um, it's so good. Yeah, that kind of made me think that Jesus did exist, but because before that, I didn't really think that there was ever a person who even was named Jesus who did any of this shit. I I now think that like there may have been a person named Jesus, and he may be like, and he's probably like the acts that are like um, uh, ascribed to him are probably like an amalgamation of lots of different people and lots of different things and lots of different exaggerations and stories. Um, but that Jesus like maybe existed, but that there were a lot of, um, political leaders at that time who were all sort of like political and maybe sort of spiritual. Cause it was like a more, cause the church was like more heavily involved in people's lives at that time. Um, but yeah, the idea of a God, like the idea that God comes to earth is just a, uh, well, it's Jesus, another fairy tale. Yeah, and Jesus would never have, like, Jesus would not have claimed that. Well, no, and, like, if you look at the Gospels, like, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Thanks, Catholics. Uh, and w- the the uh, the first one, like I said, was written, I don't know, however, like, 33 or however many years after his, uh, Jesus's crucifixion and it starts with him being baptized and it's very dry and it's very like like these were his teachings this is what he did and then he died and then the next like gospel testimony it you, you have to think about it like um like a documentarian or like a like a journalist going out and interviewing people like that's what makes it into the bible and with every story it's getting farther and farther away so that the final story it's like a couple hundred years after he's already died and now it's like an angel came down from heaven and told his mother who is pure like well the translation because i think it's greek or aramaic it's like the it it just means young woman it doesn't actually mean virgin that's Mm -hmm. like a like a a very specific translation yeah there's like all that i don't know all that stuff it's just it's myth making it's fairy tales it's like uh whatever the nugget of the person is or their action it is like this like calcification happens around it where the myth gets drawn out and then you get all of this magic and it's like who knows I mean if we're like (laughs) looping all the way back around to like sleeping beauty like the idea like what is the what's the story that you're trying to communicate to children with this or to like whoever's hearing this story like what do you want them to learn like what's the lesson and where did where did this come from like what 
like what is there any nugget of truth in something like this I mean it's the same story told over and over again the old woman with the spindle with the wheel turning like silk into gold no that's a different story that's Rumpelstiltskin that's Rumpelstiltskin but she doesn't she prick her she pricks her finger on a on a spinning wheel on a spinning wheel yeah yeah but the idea of like the spindle like it, that again like that's women's work like women spun it's, it's like an old it's like a young woman getting something from an older woman maybe it's advice maybe it's um it's uh, inspiration and then going into turmoil, being rescued and going on a sexual journey with a man who's all knowing, teaching her everything and then getting strength from his um, like Abuse. sexual lessons. Do you think that this functions in a way like I think about Beauty and the Beast like Beauty and the Beast, in a way, you can read that as, like, a Stockholm Syndrome story. Yeah. I, I wonder, like, how much of this is priming women to, like, put up with Do you whatever know, they get. So, like, my earliest interaction, like, the earliest example of Beauty and the Beast I really know is the Cocteau. Do you know, like, the medieval Beauty and the Beast or anything about, because that's French, so I don't know if that was, like, something you read about. Uh, I know that that's, that's, like, a really, that's, like, one of those really old ones, I think, that pops up in a lot of cultures, but the Cocteau version is basically, like, the earliest version that I'm familiar with. Yeah. I'm just wondering, because I don't know what it was like, you know, what the original, if there's, like, some weird fucked up shit that the, the sleeping, French people were writing about <laughs> in 1500 or whatever. The uh, Sleeping Beauty one is, like, the most extreme example I can think of of something being so, um, like, openly violent and, like, horrifying and, like, and change it, like, like softening through through time the way that it did because like yeah. a lot of those grim fairy tales are messed up but beauty and the beast i mean he is like he kidnaps her like yeah and it's the idea that like a man can turn into somebody with like in cinderella they cut their feet off that's right so they fit can in fit the in those glass slippers yeah the stepsisters yeah I did a report on Cinderella when I was in elementary school and I read that the um, it may have been a mistranslation of the word fur. So instead of glass, like maybe it was supposed to be a fur slipper the entire time. Oh, yeah. And I had like this picture of me holding up a big uh, like <laughs> poster board thing where it was like it said like the French word for like fur and glass, which were similar. And then like I had drawn like a very crude like glass slipper and then like a giant question mark and then like a very crude fur slipper like which was it which was it that sounds like a pretty good report well i i liked it <laughs> i mean i don't know that's all i know about it all i remember i love it yeah so okay we covered a lot here we went all the way to jesus christ to jesus christ and then Just beyond like jesus to the old testament and if jesus was even real yeah okay and i think he was and i think he made a bit might have been okay do you but have I think he was like shay who's that shailene woodley <laughs> oh 
The actress? Che Guevara. No, I'm kidding. Oh, Che yeah. Guevara. I thought you said Che. Is that the correct pronunciation? I feel too uncomfortable to say one word. <laughs> okay. Um, so do okay. you have any final thoughts about this book, Jesus any- or sadomasochism or just anything? I feel like uh, at the no, I think that I have fully expressed myself on the subject of the claiming oh of Sleeping Beauty. But there is one thing that I would like to add, which is that in 1994, um, they recorded audio versions. <gasps> I read this <laughs> of uh, this book and the sequel, like the punishment of of Sleeping yes. Beauty. Which were both read by the great actress Amy Brenneman. No. Oh, they both were? The first two. And then the third one was read by... Elizabeth Montgomery. That's right. From, from Bewitched. Bewitched. Bitch. Yes. But no, the first two were uh, Amy Brenneman, who you may remember from the f- great film Heat. I do. She was Robert De Niro's <laughs> tragic fucking girlfriend in the car outside the hospital. Oof, Why? Buddy. Are what these a great women. movie. I love that movie. That movie is so good. I want to scream. Okay, so I, um, for the sake of the pod and my own mental health, I uh, openly messaged Amy Brenneman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And openly. Openly. I Because uh, she did not have her account set up for me to just DM her. Uh, but I was like, hey, would you be open to me asking you a couple questions about the recording of the audiobook of The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty? And as of press time... No response. When I read that Elizabeth Montgomery read one of the books, I read her. I read that sentence over and over again and kept thinking, I thought her name was Agnes Moorhead. That's a different actress. Well, she played the mom in Bewitched. And that was when I read from Bewitched, I was like, oh, I just immediately was picturing the mom from Bewitched doing it. But it was Elizabeth Montgomery who was like the main star. I just double checked on Twitter and no word from Amy Brenneman. So if anybody would like to let her know that I added her montgomery must be dead well type it in the old google (laughs) i'm i think she's dead can you wiggle your nose no i tried i've god i've tried i feel so bad for the euphoria generation who has to watch fucking friends when we got to watch bewitched i know or i dream of genie yeah they've never seen that they would fucking lose their minds if they saw i dream of genie why would they lose their minds because consent yeah and it's like this like woman like dressed all slutty living in a guy's house and she's always getting like in trouble for showing herself all those tv shows were about women getting in trouble for showing their fucking amazing supernatural powers and not conforming and acting like nice in front of their husband's bosses but like do you feel like this book is a response to that exact thing because it's like you want me to behave Fine, here you go. Also, the last two chapters of this book is about how a guy just gets fucked up the ass relentlessly. No, I don't. I think that this book was an ex- a, an um, exploration of pleasure, an exercise in pleasure for Anne Rice. I think she enjoyed writing every second of it. I think she intended for people to get sexual pleasure from it or not. But I thought that that, I think that was what she wanted from it. And you asked me earlier if I think that this is art. And when I finished reading, I I finished reading the book. I do think that Anne Rice is an artist. I think that this book, this book is a big question mark for me because I think that the intention of this book is to, um, 
be like sexually exciting for people. So is it erotica or is it pornography? Well, I don't know necessarily. So, okay, here's my question about erotica and pornography, because I think it's probably more erotica. I mean, it's it's structured. It's literary. It's based on like a grand tradition of like erotic writings. It's well written. It's written by somebody who writes novels, who's well versed in like what you, in the the Catholic imagery and like the um, the types of books that she's referencing when she writes it. So okay, it's more elevated than like run of the mill pornography, and I think that those are kind of the criteria to separate pornography from erotica. But my question is: Is erotica art? Because is erotica's goal? to how is how is erotica meant to stimulate you like are you supposed to like have a sexual like are you supposed to masturbate when you read erotica i think that uh and i would love if any listeners out there want to chime in on this topic but my feeling is that erotica is meant to arouse And I think that it stimulates you on an intellectual level. I think that you are drawn in by a story. I think it's supposed to get you to a place where you can take it from there. I think that the job of pornography is to stimulate. Like if we're drawing a distinction between arousal and stimulation, I think that like pornography will show you like if you're looking at visuals, it's like genitals engaged in sexual activity and I think if it's written it's like the description of like hardcore sexual activity which I think to me like this book is pornographic and I think it is using like a literary tradition and trying to put itself in a literary space while also being pornographic and I think like that's part of what makes the what distinguishes this from something else like it makes it something worth reading or something that's interesting I think that she is intentionally writing something pornographic if you weren't uh doing this podcast and we were and you just were like oh here's a lark I'm gonna check out these books whatever would you finish them no I wouldn't either No, I wouldn't. And the first time I encountered these books, I was in high school and I, uh, I had read the, um, I had gotten the first three books of the vampire chronicles, but from a boy named Carlos when I was a, um, freshman in high school. That's, oh my God. How old was he? He, I think he was a junior. Carlos. I know. And he, uh, I remember him calling me on the phone and I talked to him on New Year's Eve at my friend's house and he like wouldn't hang up the phone. It was this whole thing. Do you remember that thing where like people call you and you'd like have to talk and it's like, I guess he's my boyfriend. You would call each other and then you would just like relentlessly. Just like be in silence. Oh, I remember definitely being on like long silent phone calls with boyfriends that were never ending. But I also remember having long conversations with boys with girlfriends in the room. And it was a laugh factory. Just a laugh factory. But for I just like was he was just like so eager, so intense. And I remember I got really freaked out and I feel like I uh, shouted into the phone. I'm not going to have sex with you. Oh my god! I'm so I wouldn't be young again for anything. for I know it's terrible. But uh, so so I had those books and I remember reading them, but also like them having like the um, uh, 
like the the uh haze of carlos over them and like the haze of carlos <laughs> that was for me oh my god i'm so sorry i feel guilty for saying this but that's my fucking feeling about that milan kundera book solitude who gave you that what's it called milan kundera solitude what's it called like a hundred years of solitude or something what no, the fuck is that book called yeah um uh, milan kundera wrote uh unbearable lightness of being that is what i'm thinking of what's the solid a uh, hundred years of solitude is gabriel garcia marcus for some reason those wires are crossed those my are brain. two books that a boy would give you for fucking sure i think two different boys gave me those ones but i think think two boys gave me those two boys but i think it was the unbearable lightness of being that was um tainted that's you know a what great I mean? book yeah yeah i feel but like i guess they're both tainted novel. because i can't remember that it may have been an erotic novel but it was not an erotic boy yeah i mean that's god tales old as time oh god boys were so <laughs> shitty when we were younger i mean they, yeah it was like I hate it was you know what it was I didn't like him and all of his friends got pissed at me for it and it was a fucking nightmare but listen if you didn't like a guy that was my right we would all get mad at him for you so I hooked up whatever people need their crew yeah but they not don't to, need, I'm not like not trying to way. not be on a your side a fucking kid here. one of these kids put a didn't like burn me with an edge of a cigarette <gasps> at a party and that's goes I would that's for bleep name I wanted I want his name I want his picture asshole and it was the only thing that I did was like not want to date him fucking pigs and make out with his roommates <laughs> but also not that bad not cigarette burn worthy no, no nothing is cigarette burn worthy that's like the fucking claiming of sleeping beauty if they had cigarettes back then they would have been putting them out on her flesh. <laughs> okay, so, but the, here's what I wanted to say. So I got the Vampire Trilogy from Carlos in high school and then uh, early in high school and then at the end of high school, my senior year, I was like running with a pack of lesbians. We were called the Lesbian Crew. And what? I want to be in that crew. We were weird. There were only three of us and I think like maybe... Like two of you were lesbians and you were their friends. And like we were bisexuals. Like it's just like we were just like in, I don't know, senior in high school. And like nobody was talking about non-binary sexuality at that point. Fair. So we were uh, really embracing the radicalness of our own actions. Well, that's radical. But I feel like we were in this period of um, like sexual discovery where I feel like we all watched a porn together and we like sat awkwardly in this room. I feel like we went to a <laughs> sex shop and like awkwardly bought like vibrators for like in front of each other. Do you I've, remember this? Like, I have feeling? definitely been to... The Hustler store on fucking Sunset Boulevard with a pack of girls in high school and being like at that goddamn store looking at the vibrators and like one girl who's like super like adventurous being like, oh, fuck, I want this one. That was not me. Me was being like, oh, yeah, that does look great. And being like, I gotta go and freaking out. <laughs> but I remember being in a pack. I remember uh, high school friendship boundaries have a not really existing but like that's the dis like that's a discovery process like it's good like that's good like that's wouldn't trade it for anything no that is like what is so good that's I why would it's trade so it fucked up when like yeah. older people infiltrate that like sacred thing and they're like i'll teach you everything like 
Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, that's kind of why these books, like, don't really work for me. Like, I don't, th- that was always my fear that, like, some older guy was going to be like, I'm going to teach you the ways of sex and the ways of sex were going to be this. Oh like, my God, you, that was my dream. It was my nightmare. I hated men always. And, like. I had a very active imagination that I never acted on. I just, like. I would sit at the bottom of a swimming pool and imagine that. <laughs> I would, uh, I'm going to take myself back there right now. I imagine uh, it's the summer. I'm a senior in high school. I'm like 17. I dive into the, my, uh, the pool, sit at the bottom of it, and imagine Gary Oldman or Jean Renault. I was a big fan of The Professional. That is crazy. Whisking me away. I imagine myself hanging up white sheets in France and like Jean Renault, like drinking wine. Like I just had like this... Fucked up fantasy. I had fantasies of myself doing things like that too. Or like my parents took me to Italy when I was 17 and I like insisted on wearing this fucking sun hat the entire time. And then like when I came (laughs) home, I kept wearing the sun hat. Like I was all about that, but I didn't have like, there was no man involved. It was like me. I was the star of my own fantasies. Like there was no sexual really component. It was just like, I would be so cool and so desirable, but there was no like, man that was like attached to that fantasy well I feel like you're more sophisticated than I was I I don't think so I think I just like was terrified of penises I think that I was just indoctrinated into like misogynist male art from an early age where I was watching Glengarry Lynn Ross at like 12 years old being like no I get it I did uh (laughs) I did wait I did the guy Richard Roma's monologue Al Pacino's monologue from Glengarry Glen Ross um in high school for like a high school like acting class those guys they're just lonely with the thing where he's like sitting and yeah I and I they fucking raked me over the coals oh my god (laughs) they did not like it I uh that reminds me um did I yeah. Did I tell you that I taught at Columbia one year? Yeah, Chicago? that was where I went to college. Yes, there was a uh, thing where people were bringing, like, had to bring in um, comedic monologues. Uh-huh. Like people, like, um, like the people in the class, they had to bring in monologues they thought were funny. And I, like, uh, this kid brought in the Madonna monologue from Reservoir Dogs. Do you uh-huh. remember that? It's like like a virgin. It's about a girl who's like fucking guy who was a really big dick. Do you remember this? So, so a guy brought it in? Yeah, this like, this like, I don't know, 19-year-old kid like brought this thing in. And I'm like, okay, dude, you want to play? Let's go. Oh, my God. Let's have some fun with this. So um, we, uh, you know, they, they all did their monologues and I gave them feedback and then, and then like the point was that they traded. So, uh, what was the class? It was, uh, it it was part of the comedy studies program. Oh, when they did that. Okay. Yeah. They would do. So, uh, instead of doing like a study abroad program, these, uh, comedy nerd kids would do comedy studies. Started the year after I graduated. Yeah. It was, it was great. And, uh, we like did the classes at second city and it was like, they yeah. did uh, stuff with the archives and everything. But we also took like a broader perspective of like comedic performance. And I like to like dig really deep and go kind of weird. And I loved my, I just like loved my class and, uh, Still keep in touch with them over Instagram today. But so that monologue, the Madonna monologue ended up going to this young woman 
and she uh she was like she is a uh like a stunt woman in training but she got to do that do you you know that monologue the how does it go it's like um it's it's quentin tarantino does it in reservoir dogs in that opening scene when they're all at the table in the diner and the camera is like rotating around them and there's the thing of like who's gonna tip blah 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 and then quentin tarantino has this long thing about the uh about like a virgin like what is like a virgin actually about it's about a girl who uh she's like she's a real big slut and she's been fucking all these guys and then she fucks a guy who's got a really big dick and he gives her something that she's never had before it's a feeling of being like a virgin it's because she has something she's never had before which is pain so it's like okay imagine this like boy like bringing this in and then imagine this like girl same age group doing that and I don't have to imagine it I lived it I took it. I lived it and I, I did it in high school. You and did that? No, I did the Richard Roma monologue in yeah. high school about big dicks and big balls. And it's like, they don't, I mean, I think that she's really lucky that she had you as a teacher because like, I feel like people, when I did that, were like, why would you do this? You don't look like that character. Like you're a girl, like you're not a guy. She, I had her do my curio show and she opened up the second act doing that monologue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I think she was awesome. The, I think that's cool. I just think that there's like so much power to be taken from uh, from that. And like the dominant culture is like a very masculine culture for so long. Like when when I uh, when like I came online and like started caring about movies and plays and like culture like it is stuff that is predominantly made by men like all yeah. of the books that I mentioned earlier I was reading Mad Magazine that is like very like male perspective R.L. Stein is a man Michael Crichton is a man like it, it took like reading all of that stuff and kind of getting up to speed on popular culture gave me the freedom and interest and curiosity to actually seek out women writers like diverse voices etc but at that age I think that I was so indoctrinated into that point of view where that's what I wanted like I saw something like the professional and I watch that now as an adult and I'm like that movie is fucked up yeah I don't that, like that movie that movie is very like seeing that as an adult person I I find it very disturbing but when I was a teenage girl watching it that was the most like exciting like that was erotic to me in a way that I didn't understand until much later and I think that that movie excited me in a way that I was not ready to come to terms with until I was an adult yeah and I never liked it because I always saw her as a victim in that movie it looked, and I always saw her as in control I never did I and I wish that I did because it, it felt like people who saw things that way were more like adult and sophisticated or had like more or like at least liked things more like I I mean people love that movie and I was always kind of like a wet blanket like I don't know no I think that well especially like reading about Luc Besson and like where like who what kind of person he is and the motivations behind that movie and what inspired it like I think that there's a certain grooming actually that is embedded into that movie that I 
actually I mean, it's really like, responded to. Yeah, I mean, like, which is very upsetting to realize. Yeah, as I an ju- adult. Yeah, I don't know. I I never. Um, maybe it's because I was Jewish. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's because I never like I. I had I also had like an incredibly feminist mother who like wouldn't let me wear makeup or shave and was like you don't need to conform to like male beauty standards like don't ever do it and like that was beaten into my brain from like my entire life basically um that's really awesome I my my mother prepared me for the world in a different yet similar way I mean? think that I think that my mother trained me to be a feminist while not actually being able to practice it herself. What do you mean? I think that my my mother wanted us to uh, have because my mom was an artist and she wanted to have a family. And I think that the sacrifice for a woman like with my mom is so smart and she's so creative and uh she's i think that if if she had been born a man like her path would have been so different but like her my grandmother for example my mom is the eldest child my grandmother saved for her son my uncle to go who's younger to go to college like the idea of my mother going to college was never a consideration so there's my mother because she's so intelligent like was just aware of what kind of raw deal like the world gave her and I think that she taught us to identify that and like uh push against it but my mom also is like very aesthetically driven like she came over to my I remember she went through my medicine cabinet and saw that I had like a foundation some foundation she's like what is this and I, I remember telling her about it and she she was like I am so proud of you. I never thought that I would see the day when you had all this makeup. And I'm like, I'm an actor. Like I am a working, of course I have this stuff. It's just like, there's such a deep dichotomy inside of her where she gave up her creative life. She gave up her career to have a husband and raise a family. And I think it's a deep maybe regret of hers and she tried to give us the skills uh that she herself couldn't have that's so interesting yeah I think it's interesting that like you were raised Catholic and I was raised Jewish and like we have these like these different uh parenting styles that we were raised with and my interpretation of this is like very like this is Anne Rice it gave her pleasure and so she indulged in it and that's kind of the extent of my opinion of it (laughs) other than you know she was a good writer and she used like she leaned on skills that she you know accrued over her her life to make it as good as she possibly could that's basically the extent of my opinion on it and the only question I have of it being art is whether or not it's like designed to make you because I think something designed to make you like have have a sexual reaction isn't art in the way that something um that is designed to make you that is designed to make to set a mood is uh why because i just believe i've i read oscar wilde as a kid and it just like stuck with me and like that's my definition of art that i live with 
but that like but like why can't something that is made to make you come also be art because it's made to make you do something but like why can't those two things exist together because like art- why is the difference what's the difference between like something that wants to make you come versus something that makes wants to make you cry well something shouldn't want to make you cry either that wouldn't be art either it, it it could set a mood but if the intention is to make you cry then it's not art interesting so like the intent so art has to be useless i just i i really inter- has to be useless i i in, that's my opinion that i internalized as a kid that i've stuck with for my entire life i like that yeah i i'm getting like a a, a stronger grasp on it than um when you said it earlier in our conversation if your philosophy is I want to make people feel um, whatever like the emotion that connect that is connected to being horny is like arousal. You want to arouse Arousal. like you want to like awaken the beast. You don't want to get it off like that. Right. But if your goal goal is like I'm going to masturbate to this to completion, then it's not art. Then it's pornography. But I feel like pornography is a genre just like horror or comedy or melodrama or sci-fi or whatever so if like i think that i i think that you can i don't think that it happens very often but i do think that you can have pornography that is art i think that this serves both and uh something i realized i wanted to circle back to earlier is like the idea of edging as it works within the story and how it always comes back to edging. It always comes back to it. I mean, it's just like the most exciting thing that could happen, but that like beauty who has no name, her name is just beauty that like she is uh, being kept on this like sexual precipice for the majority of the book. And then she has this big release. And like, as a reader, it feels like a big release. And then you move into like the final third of the book, which is just this like, relentless description of this character prince alexi like his degradation and servitude and like like ceaseless rapings in a kitchen and i don't think that that i don't think that you are supposed to get off to that i think that to me that is the point where like anna nicole gets on an airplane on her wedding night where it's like why does this part exist who like and I, I, I don't know. I feel like as far as the protagonist whose heads you're you're inside of, you have a natural conclusion, but that's not the end of the book. It's like a continuation and a follow through of this idea. It's a further exploration of this world. It's like the idea of submission as like something that's ritualized to expel shame from a person. It feels it feels much bigger than just like getting off. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that's a good point. Like if you, cause that, that was also like the moment where I was like, I, I finished the book. I rated it two stars on Goodreads. Like I said, then I went back and I was like just flipping through and just like thinking about it. And like, yeah, like this, um, like feverish, like stream, like this, it's like a stream of fire that never ends. Yeah. And the passion of that 
is um, made me change it to a five star review. So like whether it's art, whether it's pornography, I think is sort of in the eye of beholder with this one. I don't think that we are going to be able to like circle that square tonight. (laughs) Um, And I feel like that's kind of the cool thing about erotica that it exists in sort of this gray zone where you're like, what exactly is this? Like, what am I, what are, what are you, what is the writer doing here? And that's maybe that's why we were drawn to the subject drawn to matter. it because like we're, we're so interested in like what's going on in the minds of like the creators of this stuff. Yeah. And like how they are provoking the minds of the reader and like it. Yeah. Full yeah. stop. So next okay. week. Yeah. So fuck. Okay, we we've got more damn bug. <laughs> oh God, a whole new got... fucking perverted pile of shit to <laughs> fucking slog through. Why do we do this for ourselves? I don't know. We don't even like it. Yeah, we're like, what? And this is like <laughs> also like this is a topic that we like are barely interested in. And we just recorded two hours about it. Yeah, but and we are interested in it. And all people are interested in it because it's like it's, it's mysterious and like it's weird. You know, like, and it's like, what's in that book? Yeah, and like what turns people on and it's it's like it's it's fucked up and it's weird and it's whatever like these are the like the expressions of a society that doesn't let you live free so we're we're gonna read the story of O next yes which is like my I feel sentimental when I think about it which is disgusting <laughs> and stupid no don't feel stupid we're gonna read that and then we're also gonna read this um essay that is called the pervert's progress an analysis of an analysis of the story of oh and the beauty trilogy by amalia ziv that was in a um literary journal called the feminist review in 1994 so uh next week we're going to talk about the story of oh and then we're also going to read this um academic essay about story vote and the beauty trilogy which we just talked about yeah and that's because we're experts yeah bitch we're fucking experts we're going hard we're looking at college websites and downloading fucking and it's journal like we're articles. in college without having to go yeah and you so are you and you're welcome you're welcome experts university yeah you're admitted yeah full scholarship no debt it's free don't vote for anybody (laughs) don't (laughs) vote for anybody no she's right okay we love you so much if you like this podcast we are gonna ask you to please subscribe Subscribe, download the episodes if you can please rate us five star we we would rather a five star review than like a one star but if you fucking hate it rate it one star we don't care whatever it will still help people find this podcast who want to listen to it who are interested in women screaming about perverts for two hours um because we're the ultimate perverts because we are the ultimate perverts spoiler alert that's what you're gonna come walk away from this with okay (laughs) thank you so much for listening we love you bye bye Gonna trust the experts on this one. Yeah, you 